one of the greatest practical problems that the young Christian meets is how to relate himself to the weaknesses, the faults, the lack of vision, the other apparent and obvious inadequacies of older Christians. A number of you here tonight are students who have come to this campus within the last few weeks. Doubtless many have come with a vision in your heart of why the Lord has brought you here, the training that you wish to get, and the inspiration that you expect to receive in the classes, in the missionary endeavors, in the homes, in the contact with your fellow Christians. Human nature being what it is, some of you have already been disappointed, others of you will be disappointed next week or the week after. And I'm speaking on this practical matter tonight, not merely for the benefit of the new students who are here, but for everybody that is here. Whether you live on this campus or whether you've come hundreds of miles for this meeting, my point is that everybody has problems, and that one of the problems that everybody has sooner or later is the disappointment in not finding in the lives of other Christians what he has expected to find. How do we relate ourselves to this kind of problem? I invite your attention to the Master's words in Matthew, the 18th chapter, and the 7th verse. Matthew, the 18th chapter, and the 7th verse. And while you're turning to that text, May I read this wonderful statement in the book Ministry of Healing, page 363. The gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Do you have any problems tonight? Well, there is a simple solution. In fact, if you find the right solution, it will be a simple solution. And somebody here tonight is going to get some problems solved. If you don't have any problems of your own right now, pray for those who do. And take notes so that you can use these principles when you do run into problems, either of your own or others. Now, we're on this specific problem just now of how to relate ourselves to the faults, failings, weaknesses, inadequacies of others who disappoint us. Matthew, the 18th chapter, and the 7th verse. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. This word that in this version is translated offense is also rendered in other translations occasions of stumbling. The idea is, here I'm walking along the path, and somebody has carelessly or deliberately put a log in the road. And I stumble over it and go headlong. Whose fault is it? Well, it's my fault for not watching better, isn't it? But uh, it's too bad that fellow was either careless or malicious that left the piece of lumber there in my road, isn't it? Woe unto the world because of offenses, occasions of stumbling, things that make people fall headlong in sin, in failure, in disappointment, in discouragement. Woe unto the world because of those things, Jesus said. And woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. All that's easy to understand. It's what he puts in the middle of the verse that's hard to understand. What does he say? For it must needs be that offenses, occasions of stumbling, come. It must needs be. Well, I wonder why. Wouldn't life be better all around if there was never anything to stumble over? Yes, it would. Provided 
And when those provisions are met, God is going to take us to a world where there'll never be any occasions of stumbling. We're not going to have to be watching to beware of stumbling blocks when we get to heaven, right? We're not going to a thousand years from now and a million years from now and a billion years from now have to be watching lest we fall, watching lest we misunderstand others or be misunderstood, watching lest we follow somebody's wrong example. No, all of that belongs down here in this little planet and right now. And those opportunities are not going to last very long, Christ. The only chance we'll have to deal with problems like this is right now. Right now. The chance will soon be over. And Jesus says it must needs be that these opportunities come. These occasions of stumbling. Now you notice Jesus doesn't say it must needs be that we fall over the stumbling block. Not at all. But it must needs be that we meet those occasions of stumbling. And you say, why? Well, let's think of the example, the illustration, in the life of a man who heard Jesus speak these words. Christ tried to help him again and again. You remember his name was Peter. Jesus said to him repeatedly, Peter, you need to watch. You need to watch and pray. And finally, the last evening before the cross, as they were together, Jesus said, Peter, you'd better watch, you'd better pray, you need to be converted, then you can strengthen your brethren, and uh, there are going to come some problems tonight, and uh, you'd better watch and pray. And Peter got offended. He got offended. Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you'll be denying me. Oh, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. Even if all the others forsake you, I will be true. Is that what he said? Did he mean it? Yes. Was he putting on? No. Did he really mean it? Yes. yes. Peter's problem was that he didn't know what was inside. And for this reason, it must needs be that something would happen that would cause him to fall headlong, and what was inside would come outside. What for? So it could be dealt with. You know, in certain conditions, the physician will say, that boil must be lanced. that right? Well, we say, my, doesn't that hurt? Sure, it hurts. But that corruption's got to get out. Do you know why it comes running out? When the incision is made, because it was in there. That's why. It wasn't the, the doctor that made it. Oh, no. But his knife revealed it. If Peter had not been soundly converted as the result of this fall and his repentance afterward as he saw the Savior's loving look, if Peter had not been soundly converted, you know how he would have reacted to all that? Picture it, if you will. He comes around among the brethren, and John says, Well, Peter, old fellow, what's the matter anyway? Whatever happened to you the other night? That you cursed and swore and denied the Lord. And Peter said, John, now don't bring that up. That's that's just the trouble with people. They can't let me alone. I would have been all right the other night if that maid hadn't pointed her finger at me. And if that man hadn't asked me if I was a follower of Christ, I wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't bothering anybody. And if they had just let me alone, I would have been all right. Did Peter talk that way? No. Why not? He fell so far and so flat. And then the look of Jesus melted his heart, and he knew that the trouble wasn't with the maid that pointed her finger. It wasn't with the man that asked it. The trouble was with Peter. And do you know, just a few weeks later, in that very same courtroom, before those very same people, that man, Peter, 
got up and eloquently expressed his faith in Jesus, even though he was beaten as a result and later was put in prison, they were ready to kill him. What made the change? He quit blaming circumstances. He quit blaming people. He sought the Lord for an experience, and he got the victory over Peter. And once he had the victory over Peter, what people did didn't make any difference. Do you see, friends? But my point is, what was it revealed that to him? Christ tried for three years and a half to get him ready for that examination, and then Peter flunked it. The best teacher this world ever saw drilled him day after day, and still he missed it. For such a man with such an attitude, it must needs be that offenses come. It must needs be that a stumbling block be in his way that he can stumble over and find out what's inside. Here's a vase. Beautiful, car on the outside, and I knock it over, and out the water runs all over the floor. Here's another vase. I knock it over, and not a drop of water comes out. What's the difference? Just what was inside, that's all. Both had exactly the same treatment. And if when you're turned over, something comes out, remember, it was in there all the time. It was in there all the time. The circumstances didn't make it. They merely revealed it. And so, my dear friends, you see, right at the outset of our little study tonight, that one of the most important things in dealing with these problems that come to us, the disappointments that other people don't measure up to our expectations, I say the basic thing is to understand this, God in his mercy allows us to come in contact with those situations in order to teach us certain lessons, to reveal to us what is in our own hearts, to get the victory, to get the blessing of perfect harmony with God and perfect peace. So we're never to blame circumstances. We're not to blame other people. Not at all. Not at all. Here's a statement in the book Ministry of Healing that I like very much. Oh, what a wonderful book this ministry of healing is. It isn't just a book on how to keep well. It's that. It's a great handbook for every Christian in how to live the life of peace in a world of confusion. Page 489. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen whereby good is brought to us. Now, the biblical statement of that same principle is Romans 8:28. You all know it, don't you? Let's repeat it together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All right, now let me ask you something. Do you love God? Do you? Well, if you do, what are all things doing? Almost everything does. But, oh, Brother Frisee, if you only knew. Now, Brother Frisee doesn't know. But who does know? God knows. And he's making all things do what? Work together for, for good. Now, notice, as is oft pointed out, and I must point it out again tonight, it doesn't say that all things are good. It says that all things do what? Work together for good. God is able, don't miss it, God is able to take the very disappointment that you feel because somebody, some church elder, some superintendent, some foreman, some supervisor, some Sabbath school teacher, some home head, some minister, somebody. God is able to take that disappointment you feel because that somebody doesn't measure up to your expectations and use that. To bring you a wonderful blessing. The same sunshine and rain that ripen the grain, ripen the weeds. Don't they? The thorns and briars thrive in the same opportunities that the good crops do. In fact, often the weeds grow easier than the good crops, don't they? Yes. So listen. 
these things that I'm talking about do not in themselves guarantee that you will develop a good character. Coming here to this campus and finding help in the classes, help in the chapel talk, help in the homes, help in the missionary endeavor, and at the same time having these disappointing experiences because people don't measure up to your expectations. Neither what you call the privileges nor what you might call the stumbling block. Neither one of those things will in itself develop a character. It's what you do about them that makes the difference. What will you do with those things? Will you accept them as God's providence and say, Dear Lord, what lesson are you seeking to teach me in this? All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen, whereby good is brought to us. What is brought to us? Good. Good if we will let God operate on us. But no surgeon is going to catch you and drag you into surgery and tie you down and put you under an anesthetic against your will and start carving on you because it might save your life. No, he won't do that. Oh, friends, let the great physician and surgeon operate on us. What do you say? But what tools will he use? In many cases, he uses the mistakes, the failures, the inadequacies of others as his tool to operate on us. And what a shame if we insist that we choose the tool. The man who's doing the work ought to choose the tool. Don't you think so? And who's doing the work in your life? God, will you let him use his tools as he sees fit? Will you let him use a supervisor, a home head, a church pastor, a teacher, anybody that he chooses, will you let him use those people in spite of their inadequacies and perhaps even in and through their inadequacies? Will you? Listen. You know, God has been running this sort of a program for 6,000 years. Look down through the story, the history of the Bible, and tell me, do you find very many people pictured here whose lives are lives that you would want to follow exactly? Not very many. We love to read of the life of Enoch that walked with God all those years, but we get disappointed at the mistakes of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Solomon and uh, on down through, don't we? Yes. But did God use those men? Everyone I've mentioned. Everyone. And God intends that as we study the lives of these men in the Bible and as we look at our fellow Christians and see these weaknesses, we shall not copy them, not stumble over them, but we shall learn to look to Jesus and believe that every one of these experiences is an opportunity to press close to God and get a great blessing. Now there's another reason. Let's go over to the book of Judges. Here's a very interesting verse tucked away back here in the pages of the Old Testament. Judges, the third chapter, verses 1 and 2. You remember that God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, about two million souls, men, women, and children, and they spent 40 years in the desert and finally came across Jordan and into the promised land. They saw the walls of Jericho fall flat by a mighty miracle. They conquered the different nations and cities, and finally Joshua divided the land among the 12 tribes and they were settled in their lovely new situation. But God purposely, deliberately left some of those heathen nations here and there in the land. What for? That's what I want you to see. And it may shed light on somebody's problem here tonight. Judges, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know 
to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Then he listed five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites and Mount Lebanon and so on. They were to prove Israel. All right. Now notice, God's program is eventually to conquer how much of Canaan? All of it. But he conquers enough to get the children of Israel located. One tribe here and another there and another there. And then he deliberately leaves nation after nation of these heathen, what for? To prove Israel. To teach them what? War. To teach them war. Especially the ones that hadn't had opportunity to learn it. You know, the youngsters coming along. How do you learn cooking? In a kitchen. How do you learn nursing? In a hospital or sanitarium. How do you learn agriculture? On a farm, in a garden. How do you learn war? On a battlefield, my friend. Do you agree with me? And God wanted these children of Israel to be expert in fighting the wars of the Lord. Now, you might have some questions about why he had them warfare. That's another subject. They were fighting directly under God's leadership. He was calling the signals and giving the direction. This was a theocracy. They were soldiers of God, and God wanted them to be successful and expert. And the way he had to teach them was to lead what? some of these heathen, wicked, apostate, rebellious nations that needed to be blotted out. And he could have done it all at once when Joshua was here, but God said, no, Joshua, I'm going to use you to get Israel started. I'm going to leave some of these problems so that the children and grandchildren, as they come along, will have a chance to get some exercise dealing with problems. And my dear friend, if you have come to Wildwood and found some problems left on this campus, I suggest to you that it would, you would be greatly cheated if there weren't some around. Now, there's no danger. Besides all the ones you see, I could tell you some more. And if any of you are lacking exercise along this line, please let me know because I can turn you loose on several that I know of, some Hivites or Jebusites or Philistines that are just waiting to have somebody tackle them with the spirit of Caleb, we are well able to go up and take this fortress or this nation or that tribe. Do you see what I'm getting at, dear friend? Now, I must say that sometimes when I see the problems that baffle some people, I wish so much that they could have had the opportunity and the challenge of being here on this campus. I was about to say when we really had problems. But I recognize that there are different kinds of problems. And what is a problem to one may not be a problem to another. Who is it that guides in selecting the kind of problems you run into? Who is it? God. Do you believe that? There's some of you, dear friends, that the very reason you are here at this time, wherever you are, whether it's at your own home 50 miles from here, 500 miles from here, or on this campus, or out in the community, the very reason that you are facing the problems that you see and that you recognize at this time is this. God sees this is your opportunity to learn war. Now, you may be looking for an armistice, a peace treaty, a rescue party, but God says, no, I want you to learn war. Fight the good fight of faith is the message of God. That's Paul's words to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Look, friend, how are you going to have a war if there's no enemy? How are you going to have a battle if there's no forces drawn up against you? How are you going to learn war if there's no war going on? And I suggest to you that this is not a parade ground. It is a battlefield. 
Things are happening. Things are popping. Things are booming. Not a real estate boom. The boom of cannon. The explosion of hand grenades. Oh, friends, what a wonderful privilege to be called into the army of God and know that you're on the winning side. But listen, when you see those problems, don't say, what did I ever get into anyway? Well, you got into a war. Didn't you know that? When you enlisted in the army of God? Oh, somebody says, Brother Frisius, I thought when I became a Christian I was going to get along better. But it seems to me I have more problems than ever. Well, that's all right. The difference is this, friend. When you become a Christian, every one of your problems is an opportunity to learn a precious lesson and develop character to fit you for eternal life. Everyone, no exception. Therefore, there's nothing to complain about, nothing in a sense to be disappointed about. The whole question should be, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me about this? When my home head does something that disappoints me, shall I say, well, I wonder if I'm in the right place? Or shall I say, now, dear Lord, what lesson have you in this? When the Sabbath school superintendent or the Sabbath school teacher doesn't do it the way I think they should, maybe they don't do it the way they should. What shall I say? Lord, what in the world did I ever get into this for? Or shall I say, dear Lord, I'm here to learn war. I'm here to learn to pray. I'm here to learn to exercise faith. And I'm here to learn to use circumstances as instruments with which to work instead of complaining about them. Oh, friends, it's a wonderful thing to take that attitude. What do you say? And this is our privilege. This is our destiny. This is why we're called here. And do you know, friends, if something miraculously should happen overnight, that should change every faltering, weak person on this place, except you, and make them fully perfected saints, you know what God would have to do? He'd have to move you fast. That's right. If you were the only one that hadn't been perfected yet, he'd have to move you fast into a situation. And what is my proof for that? I read it in my opening text. It must needs be that offenses come. You remember when God put Adam and Eve in Eden? He gave them that beautiful home. There wasn't a thorn in the whole world at that time. There wasn't a briar. There wasn't a weed. Every plant was in place. In that beautiful garden home. Oh, what a present it was to them from their creator, their friend. But when they sinned, even though they repented, God said, Adam and Eve, you're going to have to go out in the garden, and where you're going, the thorns are going to scratch, and the thistles are going to hurt, and the weeds are going to get in the garden, and you're going to have to work hard even to the point where you sweat, where the drops stand out on your face. Do you know what Adam and Eve did? They begged to stay in the garden. You would too. I would. They begged to stay in the garden. God said, no, you've got to go. He put an angel there with a flaming sword. Keep the way of the tree of life. What for? Not to get even with them. Not to punish them, in a sense. No, no. Cursed is the ground, God said to Adam, for, for thy sake. Adam, I'm sending you out where the thorns grow and the briars hurt. What for? For your sake. Eden no longer, we are told, furnished the conditions necessary for the development of their character. Having fallen into sin with their poor human nature, what they were, they had to be out where they had to tussle and wrestle with circumstances in order to develop character, to learn war, if you please. So, my dear friends, there are weeds at Wildwood, literal and figurative. There are thorns and briars at Wildwood, thousands of them. I know, for I've been over these 600 acres a bit. 
And all the thorns and briars aren't out in the fields and forests. Some of them are in the homes, the departments of this institution. And friend, wherever you live, at Trenton or Tiftonia, at College Dale or from Texas, Michigan, wherever you come from, listen, there are some thorns and briars where you are. Am I correct? There are some problems where you are. There are some people who rub you the wrong way. Perhaps you rub them the wrong way too. But my point is this. What is it all for? Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Oh, friend, to learn to do what Adam and Eve learned to do, to accept it as a dispensation of providence and say, Lord, if the best way to get back to the garden home is to be out where the thorns and briars and the hard work and the sweat are, so be it, Lord. Help us to learn our lessons as quick as possible. So, my friends, there are problems where you are. If you are where God has placed you, there are problems. It must needs be the defenses come. They are not to discourage you, not to dishearten you, not to make you think, oh, I wonder, I wonder what it all means. It means this very thing. Here is the chance to learn war. Here is the chance to learn to pray. Here is the opportunity to develop a faith that you can go through anything. Because, friends, we're going to have to go through anything. Do you think we're going to jump from an easy life to Jacob's trouble in one leap? None of us have that kind of muscle. No, no. We're going to go through short division and then long division. And on into square root and cube root and on beyond. Listen, friends, where are you? Where are you? Whatever the problem you have today, there's a bigger one coming next week, next month. Most of our problems come from people. But all oh, the joy of knowing that God has chosen our changes, appointed our problems, and is ready to be with us and help us. Now I want to give you a prescription. Ministry of Healing 481. Worry is blind and cannot discern the future. But Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Let me stop on that before I come on to the prescription. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Will you repeat that with me? In every difficulty, his, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Tell me, if I run away from the difficulty, what do I also run away from? The way to bring relief. Because they all come in the same package. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Jesus brought water out of a what for Israel? A rock. He rained manna out of the sky. Two very unlikely places. Wherever God has put you, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Now comes the recipe, the prescription. Those who accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. It sounds too good to be true, but friends, it's too good not to be true. Those who accept the one principle of making the service of God, what? This is the key. What does supreme mean? On top, overpowering, overpowering, the thing in life. What is it? The service of God. Let me put it in another way. Your success depends upon which is more important to you. Solving your problem or helping God solve God's problem. Which is it? I was talking with somebody some weeks ago and I said to them, I'd like to ask you a question. What would you like to have the folks who have to do with uh, assigning the work? What would you like to have them consider 
when they come to your name. Would you like to have them consider what you think would best develop you and uh, best prepare you for what you would like to do later? Or would you like to have them consider first of all what most needs to be done that you know how to do? And I left them to think about it a few days. Finally, they came back and said, Brother Fazee, I've decided that uh, the thing I want those who administer the program to consider is where I can best meet the need in what most needs to be done that I can best help. You know, that made me very happy. Because I knew. Don't miss this. This is the point of the whole thing. I know that that attitude opens the way for that worker to get the best development. How do I know? Because I read the very next sentence on page 481 of Ministry of Healing. The faithful discharge of today's duties is the best preparation for tomorrow's trial. The thing that will prepare me best for tomorrow is to do the thing that meets the need the best today. This is the paradox of Christian life. This is made possible only because God is on his throne and is running this universe and is making all things work together for good in this world. If you had been preparing the Son of God who took our nature and came to this world, if you had been preparing him to be a physician, a minister, a teacher, would you have put him the years of his life in a little humble home at Nazareth and had him spend most of his time outside of sleeping, either in home duties or working in a carpenter shop. Would you have done that? God did. Was it successful? Yes. If you had been preparing Joseph to be the savior of Egypt and the savior of his own brethren, you have allowed him to be a slave for ten years in Potiphar's house and then three years as a captive, unjustly accused and confined in prison, would you have put him through that dip? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't either. But the dear Lord who is guiding and controlling his life made all those circumstances work together for good, and when it was all over, Joseph could say to his brethren, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Friend, listen, you never have an experience like Joseph. No two lives are ever alike. They're never two cut out to the same pattern. The thing that I would like to impress your heart with, that I pray God may impress your heart with tonight, is this. Our troubles do not spring out of the ground. Our problems are not just helter-skelter, hit and miss. The particular problems that you're facing in your home life, in your finances, in health, in education, in human relations, in missionary endeavor, whatever your problem, wherever you are, on this campus or office, those problems are your glorious opportunity to learn war, to learn to be on the winning side. And remember, the way to learn war is not to be without battle. God help everyone tonight to say, Dear Lord, I see that the way to be victorious is to have problems. I see that the way to win the victory is to start right where I am, meet life as it is, and ask God to help me learn how, and God will help me. Now, a promise for you. Jeremiah, the 33rd chapter, and the third verse. Jeremiah 33, 3. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful promise this is. What's the first word? Call. Call where? Call unto me. God is speaking. Call unto me, and I will do what? Answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Brethren, students, there are problems on this place that have baffled the minds of people for years that some student here could solve by a season of wrestling with God in prayer. 
I am just as sure of that as I stand here. Son David, coming in from the shepherd's life with his sling, may slay Goliath who has challenged the armies of Israel for 40 days and more. You don't have to be weak in the face of difficulty. You don't have to be baffled in the face of problems. To your knees, my dear friends, young and old, and believe that God will fulfill his promise. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I was talking with somebody over a thousand miles from here just a few days ago. You might be surprised that I was this frank, but if you knew the circumstance, you might understand. I said to this individual, your problem is feeling sorry for yourself. Now, I don't always talk to people that frankly. In fact, I seldom do. Most people can't stand. But this needed to be said. And the person looked up to me and said, why do you say that? Well, I said, because it's the truth. And because you've got to see your problem in order to get help. Oh, my friends, if we will lay aside all self-pity, all feeling sorry for ourselves, and meet the giant with faith in God and a little sling, we shall see glorious victories in every problem in life. The life of the trusting disciple is like that of his master, a series of uninterrupted victories. Let's claim the promise, what do you say? Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I'd like to hear some young Caleb's and older ones, too, just come up to this platform, one after the other, and in one sentence tonight, express your faith, your courage, your determination. If you feel like doing it, do it because God says so, not because you feel it. If you don't feel like do it, doing it, do it anyway. If you see that this is God's promise, and you're going to take hold of it by faith. Come, dear one. We can have a line of folk. Just expressing your confidence in one sentence. Comfort to those of you students who are new here. These stumbling blocks can be made into wonderful stepping stones if you approach them in the right way. Amen. Did you ever have any? Oh, many. I know it. That's why I asked you. You were t doing that very thing. All right. Well, okay. we, we had many problems before we got here. We are still having many problems, but I thank God for them. Good. As my wife just said, thank God for these stumbling blocks to help us to grow up into Jesus. And the more of them that come, the happier I'll be. The devil heard you say that, brother, but don't you worry. All right. Well, I didn't feel like coming up here, but I decided to. I know that the Lord's given me problems only because there's something in there that's got to come out, and I praise his name for it. Amen. I'm thankful for Wildwood and also for a godly mother. Maybe this will take just more than a sentence. <laughs> but it seems every time I have a special problem, there comes some time to counsel from my mother and also a sermon from the minister. And this tonight, just what I needed. I don't know if my letters that I sent home sounded a little disillusioned. Or what it was, but just today I got a letter from my mother and she sent a quotation. It's in one of the compilations of Sister White. And it was talking about how God has a specific way in which each one of us is to be saved. And if we don't want to accept this way, we are rejecting the whole plan of salvation because He has a special plan for each of our lives. And I want to accept it tonight. Good. God bless you. All right, Olive. I've learned how to cook by the apprenticeship. I've learned how to nurse that way. I'm learning how to teach, and I'm learning the plan of salvation, the apprenticeship way. Amen. 
Now, he said one sentence. One thing that I'm learning is that even though this is a battle, the only way we can win it is by giving it up to the Lord. That's right. Victory through surrender. Well, I thought when I left home, <laughs> I was going to have less temptations. But when I came here, I found that I was having more temptations <laughs> and problems. Yeah. Sometimes I cry over them, but by God helps, I want to that's right that's right there's a girl that's come 3,000 miles to come to this school alright Carol well, Joshua 1 9 says uh, be strong and have a good courage for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go and by the grace of God I'm going to keep going right okay. I'm determined to meet all the problems that come to me amen well, I'm thankful for the wonderful mother I have tonight, and when I was in the academy, I didn't speak to that academy, but I can see now that my Lord led me there, because when I was deciding to come here, I was going to plan to go somewhere else, and then the Lord three times, so I'm going to come here, so I know the Lord's lead. And my favorite text that was being chosen tonight, Romans 8, 28, all things do work together for good. Maybe we don't think so, but... But the Lord knows the best way. If we follow Him, He'll lead you down our lives. Amen. I'd like to thank the Lord tonight for making my problems so much easier by telling me they're for my good. That's it. Right on the point. The Lord is going to give an exam soon, and I want to accept all of the problems that He gives me so I'll be able to pass through them. Right. When I feel the lousiest, and when I know that I'm giving my friends a rough time, that's when I can go to Jesus, and he's really close to me, and I can find a great burden bearer at that time. Thank God. I'm thankful that with, even with all my weaknesses, that the Lord still chose me to be in his honor. That's it. Isn't that wonderful, folks? God has a universe full of strong people, wise people, righteous people, perfect people. But down here in this planet, his glory is to take poor people, weak people, faulty people, people that fall again and again and demonstrate at last what God can do. Divine strength with human weakness. We've been talking about these problems as stepping stones I like to explain this promise. Every step in life may bring us closer to Jesus, may give us a deeper experience of his love, and may bring us one step nearer to the blessed home of grace. Thank God. There's a couple verses here that I had thought of, and it's James 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith work is patient, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. Good. Right on the point. Thank God you're going to take them like he sends them. I'm glad for that. Did you ever hear a little song called No Turning Back? Yeah, that's it. That's fine. All right, then. I'm thankful that the Lord has allowed a problem to me this week of not having enough time, and I want to claim the promise of gaining the victory over Verna. Good. These problems are going to help me to draw closer to Jesus, and I'm going to enjoy his character more and become greater involved with him, and I'm going to learn to praise him more for it. Good. I'm glad I have a loving Savior and a mother and father that will help me over my stepping stones. Right. I love the Lord and I want to obey His commandments. Right. I'm thankful God's patient with me that He doesn't fail me the first time to give me a second chance because I need it in my character development. Right. And some of us He's given a third and fifth and eighth and seventieth chance too. All right. Uh, I really like this when you started in Jeremiah 33, verse 3. 
Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things. I've had a wonderful prayer experience this week, and I've been praying to my, the Lord has been touched my heart, and I'm so happy that we can have the Holy Spirit to comfort us. And I, I have truly found that the Lord is really my Savior and I'm thankful for the class that we have here at Wilder, and that's the class of trial. God bless you, Pepper. Oh, dear ones, you can have an experience, too. You can have it, too. I've been praying for God's eyes and he's been showing it to me that I might be able to put upon the rights of God. Amen. Everything Satan puts in my heart, I want to get rid of. Right. Jesus so helped you. This week I've had a special problem claiming the promise and ministry of healing. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led, if they could see the end from the beginning. That problem was solved when I looked back and seen the way the Lord has led. And I just love your verse. In every difficulty, God has his way prepared to bring relief. Desire of ages, it says, in every difficulty we're to see the call to prayer. Right. They fit. Right. Right. You know, it's me. I haven't testified for a long time. I think maybe sometimes people get tired of looking at my face. But I just had to say something tonight. Good. Um, you know, Sometimes people come to me and talk to me about their problems, and I think, what a little thing to be worrying about. It wasn't long ago, I was worrying about the same problem, and it looked tremendous. And, and I'm conscious of the fact that I am the main problem of lots of people, part of the time at least. And, uh, you know, a lot of those people probably think that if they could just be doing what I'm doing, they wouldn't have any problems. They just don't know. <laughs> It's amazing how the, the farther we go along, the worse the problems get. They get bigger and they get more frequent. But I know what the Lord wants me to do. I want you to spend time on my knees. Exactly. <clears throat>